State of the division for the NL East continues to be a two-team race with the Mets and the Braves. Can any team but the Mets beat the Braves' arm? Uh, it is <laughs> driving me nuts. This is a Ryan Fickleside managing editor at Just Baseball and also the host of Locked On Mets. Got Arm Layton, our co-founder here. Uh, and yeah, that's my first question to you. Is anyone going to beat this Braves team? It's amazing because if you if you look at how well the Mets have played over the last several months i mean all season but over the last several months the fact that the braves have somehow been able to close ground on on the mets is just insane because the mets have not really tapered off there hasn't really been a moment where you know you've seen the yankees kind of flounder and hit a wall and give up some you know give up some of their lead with the mets it's really just they've continued to plow ahead but the braves have just kicked it into another gear uh and it's been pretty awesome to to watch and the crazy thing also is that the Phillies have not been playing bad ball either. I know they slowed down a little bit, but I think that team's been playing pretty well. Also, this is the best division in baseball right now, I think. And we're talking about before NL East versus AL East or whatever. I think what it's got to be pretty far and away the best team in the or the best division in baseball at this point. I think so, because you're seeing a similar race to what the Giants and the Dodgers had last year, where it's these two teams that I think everyone believes are World Series contenders. You look at the AL East and, you know, depending on what you feel about the Blue Jays or, or, or the Rays or some of those other teams, maybe, but not a consensus World Series team. In the NL East, the Mets and the Braves right now are two of the top five teams in baseball. I think that's pretty much um, everyone kind of feels that way. It's kind of Mets, Braves, Dodgers, Astros, Yankees is the top teams in baseball. Yeah, and what's amazing is really I feel like the only time we can really gauge where these teams are at is when the Mets and the Braves square off. And uh, those series have become must-see TV, just like the Dodgers and the Giants were last year. Uh, But I think we just had going into today, wasn't DeGrom supposed to throw as we're recording this and now he gets bumped uh, in in Taiwan Walker? I was really excited to see DeGrom in a Subway series, but ultimately what was the decision behind that? I think it's twofold. One, that Taiwan Walker uh, is good now at the back end, so they wanted to get him back out there. I also think Buck Showalter kind of wanted to split up DeGrom and Scherzer a little bit um, just because you don't know what you're getting from those other three starters as much. You know, Kind of space out your aces. I, I think that was part of it. And the other thing is they're going to be cautious when they can. So you give him an extra couple days, you get Taiwan Walker back into the fold, and then DeGrom is good to go in that following series against the Dodgers. I think that was really important also. It's crazy, man. I'm looking at the standings, though. Three games. Three games. And let's say Walker struggles today and the Braves win again. Two-game lead somehow, despite being 79 and 45 at this point. So they're three-game lead at that point. But I just don't – I just can't really fathom what is going on here in the NL East. And you look at the Phillies at 67 and 55. They're not even close. They're 11 yeah. games out. It, it's all about the, the wild card for them. Uh, so it, it's really going to come down to how many head-to-head games they have. How many are left between the Mets and the Braves? Do you know off the top? There is a three-game series in Atlanta. I will be in Atlanta for that series. Oh, yeah. Uh, me and my dad are making a trip out there for that. So, yeah, that's that's the second-to-last series of the season and a very good chance that we could see that division decided by that series. And then we were talking about it before we recorded. Another aspect of this whole thing is really just how much you take care of what you're supposed to take care of, which is playing the Nationals and and the Marlins of the world, which I think both teams have plenty of games against both, or at least a decent amount. 
you, you got to win the vast majority of those to, to hang around because if, if you're the Mets, you have to assume the Braves are going to win almost all of those games against the Marlins and, and the Nationals. And if you're the Braves, you have to assume the same thing about the Mets. Well, the interesting thing is the Mets are done with their season series against the Phillies. They wrapped that up. They won 14 of the 19 games. The Phillies still have a couple of series against the Braves. So the Phillies are kind of an X factor. Is that a team that's good enough to beat up on the Braves a bit? The Mets still have a couple of series against the Nationals, a couple against the Marlins, and that one series against the Braves. So uh, you kind of look at their schedules. I was just kind of going through them. The Mets have a series after this one against the Yankees, against the Dodgers next week. They have one against the Brewers. They have the one against the Braves. Then it's all sub-500 teams that they should beat up on. The Braves, it's kind of a similar schedule except for having the Phillies on it. So the Phillies kind of represent that weird X factor with who will win this division, although they are pretty much out of it. And what's interesting is, you know, the Phillies are are getting stronger, right? They're going to get Bryce Harper back, who's supposed to have a rehab assignment, I think today, as we're recording this, and which is just great overall for baseball, right? You want to see every team at full strength, and it just makes it so much more fun down down the line here. And we didn't know when Harper was going to come back. So seeing him on a rehab assignment is extremely exciting. And when I look at the Phillies, man, I mean, they've taken care of business. I mean, they swept through, if you look at this month as a whole, swept through the Pirates, it really took care of business, swept through the Nationals, beat the Marlins two out of three, beat the Reds two out of three. And really what the, what the issue for them and won their first game of the series against the Reds again last night, it's just been playing the Mets, right? They drop what, three out of four to the Mets and then two out of three to the Mets. And that's really the only reason why I think the Phillies are not, you know, considered red hot because they've won every other game. Basically, they've been taking care of business everywhere else. And the offense has been really, really good. And now you're going to add the reigning MVP to an offense that don't look now. Nick Cassianos over his last 30 days, if you want the last 27 games, 343, 378, 514 slash line. We see what Alec Bohm's doing. JT Real Muto has really been swinging it. Reese Hoskins has continued to swing it. I mean, this team, this offense, it can stack up there with anybody. We knew that, but it's a little bit more complete with some of the additions that they made. Corey Knable goes down with an injury. That obviously is a big blow to the bullpen, but obviously they're not catching up to the two big guys, but I really think the NL East is going to send three teams to the postseason. I think so too. At this point, I think the Phillies are a clear-cut wildcard team. And I, I just, from watching them play that four-game series, they were so close in that last game to at least getting a split. It just and shows changes you. changes everything. It yeah, it changes everything for the end. It was there was three different opportunities where the Mets came back and tied it. Mark Hanna, of all guys, hits two home runs in the last couple of innings to end up beating them. And you know, David Robertson was kind of put in a bad spot there, throwing about 40 pitches the day before, goes right back out. I think that's probably why he did falter. I think he's been really solid for them, other than that. But this is a Phillies team now that I think looks more sound defensively. Um, once you get Harper back into the lineup, takes another step up. The one thing that will do is put Schwarber back into left field. I'm curious if he is able to play out there. He had, what was it, a hamstring or some type of an injury to his legs um, that pushed him into a DH role. So I wonder how that's going to work out for them. But the bottom line is they're a team that uh, would have to collapse to a certain extent here, I think, to fall out of the playoff mix. And I didn't even mention Bryson Stott, who has been yeah. spectacular, really, in the second half as well. So, yeah, you know, I'm interested to see how they shape up with with some of the other teams in the wild card. But it really is funny. You kind of just see the hierarchy and the difference between a wild card team and a division winner. 
uh, which I would put the Braves and the Mets. I'd put them in division winner category because those they're two of the five best teams in baseball. Maybe even so you can shrink the list smaller than that. But we were going to talk about moving forward now too, right? Because the Braves seem poised to do what the Braves did in the in the nineties and early two thousands, which is build sustainable success in the regular season. And I know they just won the World Series last year, so we can kind of eliminate that caveat as well because it used to always just be dominate the regular season and fizzle out in the postseason. But, you know, that was a team that just won a division title every single year. Um, They're doing that again now, I think. We talked about before we recorded just the core that they've built, right, where they've locked up all of their main pieces for the foreseeable future. And now Austin Riley, the latest example of that. The Mets are as talented as it gets, but they don't have as much of that longevity uh, in every spot. You know, they definitely have it with Lindor. He's not going anywhere for a long time. We'll see with Pete Alonso, but he's obviously going to be in town for a couple more years, and I highly doubt he goes anywhere else. Uh, but then there's not as much of that youthful, locked-up-for-10-years kind of guys that the Mets have. Uh, so it's an interesting discussion that I, I know you wanted to – I feel like you can frame it a little bit better, but – for this year, I guess, which infield are you taking? And then beyond this year, which infield yeah. are you taking? Is that how you wanted to kind of dive into this yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting to look at because if we're, we're trying to gauge kind of the strength of these two teams, the infield for both of them is just outstanding across the board. I think with the Mets, you're talking about the long-term you know, look here. I'm thinking this offseason is the time we could see extensions for Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil. If that resolves itself, then that's a core that you can build around. Brett Beatty has just, you know, been promoted and you think he's the future at third base. So if that is the case, we have an idea of what the infield could look like for the next five years for the Mets. With the Braves, it's a little bit more complicated because you had Dansby Swanson. Are they going to re-sign him? Do they believe Von Grisham can be the shortstop? That's obviously still a big question mark, but we could see them considering they have Albies locked up. They have Riley locked up now. They sign Olsen after they traded for him, that infield is pretty set in stone. So the question is, is it going to be Swanson or Grisham? Regardless, though, for this season, it's both Swanson and Grisham with those two guys at the corners. I think the Mets have an edge on the uh, right side of the infield with Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil, maybe. But then again, Austin Riley is probably the best infielder in this division, right? Right now with the way he's playing, I mean, they're, it's hard to make a case for anybody else. We're talking about Austin Riley as a potential MVP candidate. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this guy's been the best infielder in the division. And I'm not the biggest Ozzy Albies fan, but he might come back at some point, right, this year. So if, if they get him back before the end of the season, obviously he's locked up for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's a really interesting situation. And then beyond that, Von Grissom's already given you uh, more F-war than Ozzie Albies did in 62 games. What is it, 17 games of Von Grissom? He's 1.1 F4. 62 games of Albies got you 1.0. But reports are that Albies took a big step towards returning potentially for the postseason. That's a guy you're obviously happy to have in the fold. But even just further complicates the situation in Atlanta, which is how do you get ABs for everybody? Uh, does, Does Grissom end up playing in the outfield? Or, you know, does somebody DH? Maybe because of Albies injury, you want to DH him. I don't know, uh, but at this point in this season, let's say Albies is is out of the picture because it's. I think it's fair to say he's out of the picture. With the way that Grissom's playing, with the way that Dansby's playing, 
I, it's it's pretty hard to to take any infield over the Braves, but at the same point and with the same discussion, Francisco Lindor is is playing at you know I wouldn't say an MVP level, but like a step below that, right? So it's it's one of those situations where I think you could almost go like name for name and stack these guys up against each other, and you have a really tough time picking one over the other. I think catcher is an interesting you know, like tiebreaker in this situation. And what's funny is I don't feel great about either team's like catcher situation really right now. Yeah, I would say that the Braves are a little bit better at the catcher spot than the Mets just because offensively they're not getting pretty much anything out of Tomas Nito and James McCann. But defensively, those guys are are great. And I think that's why the Mets have kind of stuck with them and haven't gone out and they didn't make the big trade at the deadline and they haven't you know, pulled the trigger on a Francisco Alvarez promotion, you know, although he hasn't been doing that great in AAA either. But I think the future for the Mets at catcher, we like them. Yeah. But this year, offensively, I, um, mean, I think Darno and, and Contreras are, are a better combo. Yeah, I mean, those guys have combined for 28 homers. So I, I might be even a little bit harsh on, on the catching situation uh, with the Braves because Contreras is not a good defender. Uh, that's yeah. obvious, but the guy rakes and Darno is a, is a little bit of a well-rounded catcher and, and can do a bit of everything. As I know you guys were hoping he would be able to do that for, for the Mets, but obviously that, that he didn't quite put it together totally in time, but yeah, I, I think the catching situation might even put them, put the Braves over the top. Right. And I yeah. think a big X factor in this whole discussion is Matt Olson more of last year's Matt Olson. Or is he more of this year's Matt Olson, which has not been bad, right? Matt Olson's been very solid this season, but last year he was a Hank Aaron Award finalist. This year he's hitting 248, 333, 489, which is a 123 WRC plus. Very solid. But Pete Alonzo is is one of the best sluggers in the game. Olson looked like one of the best sluggers in the game last year, has taken a bit of a step back in the new environment this year. I still think he's as good as anybody at the position. But I think that's a big X factor in this, right? Is who do you think is going to put up better seasons moving forward, Matt Olson or Pete Alonso? And right now, I think Alonso's the safer choice, but Olson still has the upside to to potentially put up similar or better numbers. Yeah, I think that the glove, obviously, with Olson, you know, kind of helps him a bunch when it comes to kind of future production. But Pete Alonso, I just simply think this year in particular has been a better hitter. And I, I don't know how we can project that going forward. I actually think if we kind of look at this conversation with the infield, really Alonzo McNeil and Lindor have just been a winning combination that maybe you just give them the edge only because of the success the Mets have had, even in that matchup in particular. You look at Pete Alonzo's season with the 102 RBIs. That's been ridiculously impressive. You look at F war with Lindor. He's fifth in all of baseball at 5.5. The only guys better, Aaron Judge, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Manny Machado. And then Jeff McNeil, I just wrote an article about him yesterday, hitting over 400 since July 30th. He's now up to a 140 WRC plus himself, 4.5 F4. And at second base in August, he's been worth six outs above average. While you have Francisco Lindor, playing his normal goal glow defense at shortstop. So the two of them up the middle as a double play combination defensively might be the best in baseball right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's something that really, I'm glad you wrote that article because Jeff McNeil's defense or just overall production has been incredibly underrated. He's tied for first in F war with Andre Jimenez, which is just so funny uh, in itself, but like bat to ball, 
more extra base hits, elite defense at second base, like you mentioned. That middle infield combination is is definitely better than what Atlanta has right now, obviously. Even though Grissom's playing at a really high level, I have way more faith in Jeff McNeil continuing to play at that level. And I think Lindor is is doing everything Dansby's doing, but a little bit more, even though Dansby's been wonderful. The big difference here, too, we talk about the X Factor at first, is the Braves don't have a hole. And right now, the, the Mets have a hole at third. I, I love Brett Beatty, but I mean, come on. Like, we're, we're, we can't stack up Brett Beatty against Austin Riley, who's probably going to finish runner-up for MVP. And that could be the separator on top of the catching position. I think I'm going Braves because of catcher and third. But I will say, I mean, like the Mets situation is is incredible right now and, and they're in really good shape and then the future looks bright and moving forward. I think the, the Mets could easily catch them, especially if Beatty continues to develop the way we think he can. But and Alvarez, of course, a catcher. But with the current catching situation and third base situation uh, for both teams, I think the Braves get the slight edge. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Unfortunately, Louis Guillaume is injured, so I can't throw some propaganda on him with, <laughs> with the 355 on base percentage and the great defense he was playing. But I, I think that we're talking about two of the best infields in baseball here. And even if the Braves had the slight edge now, if we project in the future, that's going to be the strength of this the division moving forward to imagine what a Beatty and Navarez can be for the Mets moving forward to think about the progression of Grisham, what they do with Swanson and all the pieces they have in place. These two teams are going to be really good competing head-to-head in this division for a long time. Before we close out the show today, though, real quick, your Marlins, they got a young starting pitcher now that deserves some hype here on the State of the Division podcast. Yeah, I mean, it, I wish every time I talk about this this freaking team and the pitching, I'm like, oh, like, you know, the, the future's bright with, with all the pitching that they have. If they can just piece together the hitting, well, who knows? But you know what? A positive side of thing here is is Edward Cabrera has been wonderful. Uh, 22 and two-thirds consecutive scoreless innings. And yes, he carved up eight scoreless against the Oakland A's in Oakland. So I, I know that's not the, the toughest competition in the world, but he's been doing this for several starts now. This guy is must-see TV. And, and I'm not just saying this because uh, I'm, a, I'm a guy that watches the Marlins probably more closely than 99% of people because who wants to watch the Marlins? Edward Cabrera is reaching upper 90s with the fastball. And then he throws change-ups that vary from 92 to 95 miles an hour. Some of them are straight changes. Some of them he manipulates to just have this kind of screwball action. And then he has a, a nasty breaking ball too. Like this guy is really cool to watch. He's fun on the mound. He's electric. It's all about health. And that's the thing with the Marlins is you look at the rotation. There's probably four guys I could say could legitimately be the number two starter for them next year. And it would not be crazy. Pablo Lopez, you can make the case. Obviously, he already is the number two. You can make the case that somebody like Edward makes the leap and, and solidifies himself as the number two. You can make the case that Jesus Lazardo makes the leap as he continues to look really good. You could also make the case that Rogers figures it out again or Yuri Perez you know, gets called up and continues to be a wonderkin. Like, there's so much there for them. Uh, but Edward Cabrera is just the latest example of it. Just please stay healthy. I, that, that's... Sixto Sanchez is pretty much done. He shut down again. Like, just please, Edward Cabrera and Jesus Cesardo stay healthy. Those are two guys that are so fun to watch and, and really talented. This is uh, probably not a great analysis, but I think for me, one of my uh, evaluators for a pitcher is the strikeout strut. 
And uh, <laughs> Edward Cabrera has a good a strikeout one. strut. And that makes me like, look at him like, you know what? That dude has the confidence. Oh, he yeah. could be an ace level pitcher just based on the, the mentality. So, uh, and as you already alluded to, this stuff itself is really nasty as well. So they do have a bright future when it comes to the rotation. Let's see if they can figure the rest of it out. Uh, especially maybe they can find a hitter down the stretch here. Okay. JJ Bleday doing a little bit better. He actually had a good game yesterday. He's been swinging it. All right. I have hope for Bleday. I don't have as much hope for Burdick, um, but I think Bleday could be a piece for them. Um, you know who would have been a good piece for them though is is that guy playing outfield for the Mets. So, uh, you know, I think that's a guy that said he wanted to retire in Miami too. Um, I think he's plenty happy right now in New York. But uh, yeah, that probably would have been a good fit for the Fish. Yeah, keeping Starling Marte uh, that might have been as much as you might like Jesus Lazardo. Uh, you know, yeah. a, a center fielder who can bat lead off for you and and actually uh, give you some positive production out there for five years probably would have been better, but. That is our state of the analyst for this week. Uh, make sure you're tuning in tomorrow for the Central Divisions on Thursday for the West Divisions. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube at the State of the Division. And make sure you check out all the articles we got coming at JustBaseball.com.